0: You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman, And on today's show, we have Mr. Alan Adler with us. So, Alan, man, I love, uh, love the content that you're putting out. Love the conversations that, that we have. It's great to to have some brethren in this uh, force as we're, we're trying to evolve uh, this this world of partnering that we both love.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Mark. It's a pleasure to be with you. Can't wait for our conversation.
1: Let's do so it. Alan is the managing partner of Digital Bridge Partners. And uh, Alan and his uh, team, his company, they do some awesome work to, to help organizations better leverage the power partnership, uh, similar but different to, to what Partnernomics does. But Alan is Definitely one of those thought leaders in our space, putting out some great content. And uh, so Al and I wanted to, to get together and, and hit record and have some conversations around just, just what we're seeing, You know, working with companies uh, to see if we could provide some insights that hopefully uh, help people hit that accelerator just a little bit harder.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'll bet for sure we're going to be using the word ecosystem a lot because you got to do that today, right?
1: Yeah, no doubt. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. As We were chatting before we hit... Uh, the record button. I, I'm glad that we're we as an as an industry, as a group of professionals, we're trying to make trying to put some definition into this to get some commonality as to what's going on. Obviously the, you know, the, the ecosystem word is a big word. Uh, it's nothing new. We're just kind of putting definition to you know what it is and and how all of these pieces work and fit together.
0: Right on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to me too, that, you know, sometimes when you look forward, the inclination is to look backwards because that's what you're used to. And what's happening right now is there's so much change as we know going on Mark, that if you don't look forward and anticipate where the puck is going and instead you go you just steer to where the puck was before you're going to find yourself sitting on the ice, wondering why the entire hockey team is on the other side of the uh, ice rink.
1: Man. So true. I think it is. You and I were chatting, you know, you know the, the question. Literally, I was having this uh, this conversation earlier this week, and it was it was centered around is the word channel and ecosystem synonymous? Synonyms mean the same thing. <laughs> I was like, of course not. And so we kind of got into this uh, conversation, peeling that onion a bit. And I know you did a piece uh, on this uh, a week or two ago that uh, you know was really really interesting to go through. But you know. As the way that, that at least I see it, right? We have the, the channel is the way to to monetize products and services or these solutions, typically products, typically physical products that we have out there, you know, pretty, pretty linear. And the idea with a channel is to try to make it as predictable as, as possible, but to move things from from A to Z. But to the point that you were making earlier, Alan, uh, the other piece of this is kind of the, the co-creation, the innovation, the building the next thing, right? Having those companies that are skating like Gretzky, right? Skating to where the puck is going to be because that's where your customers are sitting and, and waiting for, for value. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's these, these circles, these Venn diagrams. And without a doubt, as you pointed out, the channel sits inside of the ecosystem.
0: Right. Well, I, we also talked earlier to use another sports metaphor of like a swim, a swimming pool, and the channel is like a swim lane in the swimming pool, and it's a swim lane with those little those little buoys so that you know the channel stays in the swim lane. Um, because its job, to your point, is to monetize or to be a route to market for that which has already been built, and you know they'll add value to it. But but it's always historically been a stovepipe of swim lane. It's been a it's been a linear thing, and the everything on the other side of that. Uh, that buoyed swim lane is this like very kind of confusing and messy pool where you got all the kids floating around, swimming around, you know, you, you keep running into people because you're like, wow, there's no orchestration here. It's like, everyone's just kind of like running into each other. And, and, and the, and the, the swim lane of the channel is like this very sort of like linear orderly thing. And, and I think part of the, the reason that we're all confused by the ecosystem is because there's so many different parties in the pool doing so many different things that now we are thinking we're in the ecosystem orchestration business, which is someone sitting on the side of the pool and say, hey, why don't all the kids, you guys go over here and then the parents go over there and the people that want to swim really fast, we'll make some temporary lanes and we'll shut them down and open them up again. But it's the dynamic nature of that other part of the pool that is so much more complex and so much more difficult to operate. And that's, I think, why we're all pumped up about it because there's so much innovation happening that there's a great opportunity to orchestrate and do so successfully.
1: Yeah, I absolutely could not agree more. I think man, partnerships as a profession has finally fully arrived. <laughs> but now we need to get organized because I think there's there's a, there's a massive opportunity for a partnering lever to to help organizations get absolute exponential growth. And we see this everywhere. And to, to see how powerful partnerships can be for companies or how powerful partnerships are for companies today, but also how much inefficiency we still see in that. Yep. Yeah, I think we have a Well, massive i amount I've of got a
0: provocative one for you. I know you're it's your podcast, so I'll I'll be constrained myself in interviewing you. But here's a provocative one. You said something, the partnership profession has arrived. What I wonder about is is partnership really a profession or is it a competency that needs to be spread throughout the entire organization? Because historically, if you think about a channel back to the swim lane analogy, you know, when you have a channel professional, they sit as an adjunct to the direct sales organization, usually in their own silo. But when you look at that other swim lane, swim lane, not ecosystem pool, which got all everyone partnering is everywhere. It's not in one spot. And so I wonder, is it a profession? I mean, certainly it's partially a profession because we have partnership leaders and other things like that. But is it, is it more of a profession or is it more of a skill set, mindset, competency that has to pervade the entire ecosystem uh, landscape? What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, if I can, I'd say it's both. I mean, really, what, what are partnerships at their core? It's leveraging the capabilities and assets of others. Whether it's internal to our organization, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's with our neighbor, whether it's with another company. And that's truly like what partnering is. It's you know leveraging the capabilities of others to to advance, hopefully both parties. And so I think it's both. I think to your point, um, and I know you've talked about an embedded partnering, and I want to dig into this one because this this definitely hits on some some points that that I'm passionate about as well. But within organizations in general, you know, I think that partnering is a culture. partnering is a skill set, and we need to 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 sharpen the, school, the sword, sharpen our skills both internally and externally, uh, to fully leverage the power of partnerships. Right. So you have these different organizations, these different lanes. Right. Let's 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 continue with the swim lanes. You have the marketing lane of the business. You have the product lane of the business. You have the sales lane of the business. You have the the legal lane of the business. Right. You have all these different apartments. They're lanes. I think that. The way that companies traditionally take um, the direct sales approach, the way that companies traditionally go to market is vastly different and in a lot of ways, completely opposite or very to to the antithesis of how you do that through partnerships. And so many of the companies that we work for, they... They understand, they start to understand that partnering truly is a culture. It's a move from independence to interdependence. Yeah, that's really that's that's right on. Which is scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And which in is fact, scary. In
0: fact, as part the channel swim lane was called independent, not interdependent. And partnering, there's no question. I mean, it's interesting as you, as you think about the swim lane analogy with all these different lines of business, marketing, product, sales, customer success, legal, what's what have you. It's almost like maybe partnering is really an overlay. It's not a swim lane in and of itself, right? Although it probably has to have its own swim lane element. Like you have to have partner ops and partner orchestration, ecosystem orchestration. But if you don't, our concept of embedded partnering is that partnering lives in the line of business swim lanes. It lives in marketing. It lives in product. It lives in sales. It lives in customer success. It lives in legal. Because if it doesn't overlay on top of those swim lanes, as in every swim lane has partnering in it, then you have the classic friction that takes place today with most partnership leaders, who are constantly running up against the swim lane and say, "No, we don't do partners." And then you yep. have chaos, yep. or, or missed opportunity.
1: I think you're exactly right, Alan. And you know, I guess there's some larger organizations, especially in the channel piece, but obviously, as we've talked about, you know, partnering and especially this ecosystem world and word is so much bigger and broader than that, some of the traditional big channel programs, right, they have a marketing piece, they have a finance piece, they have some of these uh, resources, resource groups within that partnering structure. But I would say the vast majority of companies, they're probably borrowing, uh, you know, marketing expertise, product expertise, other pieces from the mothership business. But, but what we have run into, what we see is let's say the CMO, he or she has you know, their boxes they're trying to check, their objectives they're trying to capture for this month or this quarter. And if they're not incentivized to help the partnering lane, they're creating headwinds instead of the tailwinds that the partnering organization needs you know right. you know if we don't have like the strong clear leadership from the top then it's almost like whenever organizations say we're going to start doing this partnering thing i call it growing the third eye <laughs> growing the third ear growing the third arm the organization if they don't understand it they throw up their arms they push back and they don't support it yeah i think that's right
0: on the money you know our concept of embedded partnering uh, starts with a question of who is responsible for bringing the partner orientation the partner value the partner contribution the partner KPIs the partner resources to the swim lanes that need to support partnering and in the ideal world it's the CEO top-down and the CEO wakes up and says I get it I think you you're gonna land a quote in a little bit about how what CEOs say about b2b partnering which is pretty exciting but many CEOs are still kind of hemming and hawing about it because they didn't really understand the ecosystem. So then the question is, does the partner leader have the, enough entrepreneur moxie to go into those swim lanes and do the work to embed partnering? And it'd be interesting to chat a little bit about how the partnership leader creates the alignment. I was talking about alignment with you on one of your podcasts, on one of your uh, blogs. I thought was great you did on, on um, trust. Yeah. And in there, there was the concept of alignment. Yeah. And I commented that really as important it is to align with your partner, it's just as important or more important to align within your organization. So again, is it, isn't it it the partnership leader's job to entrepreneur that alignment and to ensure that partnering gets embedded into those swim lanes?
1: Man, you have so much there to, to unpack, Alan. I love you know what, what you're sharing. Some thoughts come to my mind as Number one, traditionally, at least what I've seen, even the most senior partnering professionals aren't necessarily at the C-suite yet. And so, you know, partnering professionals, I call them air traffic controllers, right? They're working cross-functionally, across, you know, amongst these different groups and teams. But yet, none of them report to them, right? As a partnering lead, I'm not going to be writing the you know, the annual review for my counterpart in marketing that's supporting me or my counterpart in, say, sales or my counterpart somewhere else. And so that's truly where leadership comes in and influence comes in. But and you hit you hit this right square on the head, Alan, that is the CEO needs to be the biggest cheerleader for partnering. If if he or she is not on board and making sure that the full C-suite, and then all the way down, that people understand that we have a partnering strategy. We are partner friendly. This is a this is a this is our organization. This is the new way. This is the new approach. If they don't have that, man, I mean you you're literally swimming upstream all the time. And so many of us can can relate with that, and man, that's exhausting.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. No, I think that's great. And you know, uh, th- this whole idea that um, I think I do think the partnership leaders have to, even even if they're not on the C suite, have to have to essentially say, my job is to partner with those lines of business, not tactically, but strategically. I think one of the challenges they have in that air traffic control example you gave is that. Whenever you're trying to achieve partnering or embed partnering on a transactional level and the standard operating procedures within those swim lanes, marketing, sales, customer success, and product, the four biggies, right, are not partner friendly. That, that is that they're, they're frictional rather than leveraged, uh, leverageable. Then every single thing you do is a heavy lift. So literally feel like, you know, it's it's Groundhog Day. You're reinventing the wheel of why can't we get enablement? Why can't we get co-marketing? Why can't we get integrations? Why can't we get co-selling? Why can't we drive our the integrations we built through our customer success? Everything's a heavy lift until the standard operating procedures shift and become more partner friendly. So that's really the biggest heartache, right, for most partnership leaders is that they're running around doing random acts of partnering instead of being an agent of change to to alter the standard operating procedures. And I I don't believe that we have to have the CEO leading. it. It is a lot easier if they do, but I've seen success where partner leaders say, you know what, rather than having my own team, I want partner people living in the swim lanes of the organizations that I need to help me to go to market with, marketing sales, customer success, product. And if you can get that outcome and get them to share KPIs or share incentives, share outcomes, um, that's an ideal world. And and I don't think it's impossible. I think it's it's the kind of thing where every partnership leader, when they see the same story of, oh my God, another day where I have to fight a fire because the standard operating procedures do and incentives and reward models and C-suite orientations and OKRs do not support partnering, is another day that I'm going to not really be delivering partnering to my. To my uh, to my employer, so uh, yeah, so hopefully CEOs will be paying attention too, so they don't have so the partnership leaders don't have to work so hard.
1: Yeah, well, I think you hit it. I think the the leads of these different departments need to be incentivized to support the partnership lane. If they just if they always see oh hell here comes the partnering guy again, and they see all of that work as being a debit. To them, but it's not helping them kind of re- retire. What their core function is, or a piece of what their function, then you know they're always going to to see us as well. That's just the plus one thing that we have to do, or we will do if we have time. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. Yeah, as we've talked about, there's you know partnering is truly becoming a core function in in these successful organizations, and yeah. it's really a question of. Uh, maturation. I mean, who's going to mature and see and understand what this adjustment needs to be and then, you know, take advantage of, of those opportunities? Yeah.
0: You know, one of the good things that partner leaders have going for them is that the story to drive that embedded partnering vis-a-vis aligning with the heads of the swim lanes who you need to co-own a KPI for your partner model, the the story is not a difficult story. In other words, the finding the way to the hearts and minds of a of a leader of a line of business is nothing more difficult than simply to then say to them, What are your measures and how can I show you how partners can contribute to your success? Just
1: Man, simply- I love that. I love that because I mean, that's what partnering is at the end of the day, right? We could we have we have our strategy of what we're trying to do as an organization to grow this forward. We can do it organically, in-house. that's a losing proposition as we go forward. We could do it uh, through acquisition, we could pull out the checkbook and buy our way down that road. Or, number three, we do this through partnering. But partnering, when done correctly, it should, it should enable all of our internal teams to be able to do more with less. But I think it's just a matter of I, I love the how you said that entrepreneurial spirit, that entrepreneurial mindset of these partnering professionals to be able to paint this vision, to, to architect what needs to be done, to influence and to lead uh, people to get them, you know, rowing the boat in the same direction. Now, you had a really good stat about CEOs saying B two B partnering was
0: like really important for growth. What was that stat? Yeah, thought, so KPMG.
1: Yeah, man, I love this one. Uh, KPMG did a study. It's uh, about almost two years now uh, old, but thirty eight percent of CEOs said that business to business partnering is their number one strategy for growth. And so it was significantly higher than organic, significantly higher than uh, mergers, acquisitions, outsourcing, uh, all these organic, these different alternatives, 38% said it was their core, their number one strategy for growth. And that is a that's a significant number. if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was 15 it was a 15 percent increase over just the prior year. That's great. And so I think you know as, as you point out in your uh, your blogs and, and the different thought leadership pieces you're putting out there, I mean, technology all across the board and the globalization of the economy, the further globalization of the economy is is making partnering be an absolute requirement
0: i don't think it's even yeah. an option and it's absolutely right but that's another uh job of embedded partnering like we talked about embedding partnership dna into the swim lanes of the departments but to the point we were making earlier it's how do you embed it into the heart and mind of your ceo well if if 38 of all ceos a couple of years ago said b2b partnering is a number one growth and you ceo who i don't even work for because i don't report to you but Maybe the CRO who I report to would help me with this conversation. It's like, why isn't it our number one way of growing? It's really a provocative question to say, you know, partnering has become this universal hockey stick of growth. And when I look at our organization, it seems like we're we're doing a lot of tactical stuff, but we're not strategic, aka, we don't have embedded partnering. We don't have an influence orientation. We don't have product and sales readiness to partner. Our partner, we don't have a partner first mindset, we don't have a partnering culture why now the ceo may empower you back to say well because i don't know how we're going to get it done so then the one job every partnership leader has to have right is to show their company why partnering is your company's number one way to grow and that data point from kpmg i think is great ammo for that conversation because if your ceo isn't getting it
1: it's kind of up to you to either get them to get it or look for a new job yeah could not agree more could not agree more. And I think that is, that is the two pieces. Um, you know, I would say if, if your CEO is neutral on partnerships, kind of like show me, then maybe you, you know, you're up for the challenge. If, if the light bulb isn't off, you know, going, going off for them, I would definitely find a new place to work because Borders, Blockbuster, Kodak, you're going to end up like those. Companies, right? We're just Absolutely. we're going to be afraid to change, we're going to bear our head in the sands, and we're going to be passed by everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. So Alan, another statistic I'll throw out there as far as you know, talking about CEOs, right? Accenture did a study a couple of years ago. 76% of CEOs say that their business model is, is going to be unrecognizable in five years. So further showing that CEOs get it, or at least get that they are are going through this massive change but I think they're trying to figure out what does this mean for us? How do we adjust? How, how, what do we need to do to skate where the puck is going? How can we figure out where the puck is going?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's a, that, that's a common uh, data point about, you know, business models being unrecognizable. I mean, if you, if you, if you really unpack why, it's usually a function of two things. One, uh, digital transformation, which is, reinventing the concept of the organization Um, and the second piece is platform business models and uh, i say i bring that one up because i'm particularly passionate about platform business models as being kind of like the 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 ultimate ecosystem driver because a platform business model is dependent upon a vibrant ecosystem yeah. Um, but it, it really you know, comes back to that fundamental question, which is if your CEO doesn't get that partnering is number one uh, growth, it's either true because of one of two reasons. Number one, because that CEO doesn't understand that the business model they have needs to change, or we haven't done a good job as partnership leaders showing them how the business model that we have is actually one that many of our peers are really using to drive massive growth. Yeah. there's really the only two, uh, the only two answers. And, and I, I think if you discover that your business model is probably wrong, that's a pretty good indication of the propensity of your company to grow. But most of the time, it's not that the business model is wrong. It's that we haven't shown the analogs to get the resources that we need to drive the change. And so that's the, that's why I come back to that. Have you demonstrated why and how partnering will help your company achieve the fastest growth that could ever achieve? And then if you have a roadmap with your CEO agreeing to it, that you're going to follow the script to allow that
1: to manifest. If yeah, I think with partnering, you have the chicken and egg thing. It's, it's like number one of the biggest pitfalls that I see is, you know, finally the CEO or, or whomever at an organization, uh, let's say they're going to stand up a partnering function for the first time. Like, okay, sick of hearing it. Here's a few million dollars, whatever the number is, we're going to stand up this partnering function and, and get this thing going. Well, more often than not, And I'm talking like 95% has been my experience. You know, that that senior leader said, okay, so I look at the sales, I look at the direct sales organization, I see their flow. Okay, so I want you to match that because I'm looking for ROI, obviously. But inevitably, these partnering teams, partnering functions, standing up these relationships, it takes so much longer than what the senior executives, than the runway that they're willing to give them. At a minimum- point what we see is 12, 18, even 24 months sometimes to to stand up this organization, to get it well oiled, to to give the the partnership leaders the ability to work internally, collaborate, make those relationships, get the backing and the support that they need from those other organizations and, and start to generate revenue through the partnership lane. And if, if there's only, let's say 12 months given, that's like, oh, well, it was a failure and they throw in the towel before, you know, there's, there's not enough runway given, given there. So that's, that's a slippery slope.
0: No, I think that that's probably the biggest, the biggest, uh, headwind that partnership leaders face is that the, if you think of it, like, um, you know, from the metaphor of the runway, but you add uh, flying the plane, um, building the plane, building the runway, building the depot that fixes the plane. All these things have to be done at the same time. And inevitably, when you have so many moving parts, the performance is just not there yet. You have to have a lot of those systems up and running at a certain level of productivity to see the returns. And unfortunately, partnering is, um, when it's done, when, it, when it's mature your zero to 60 is way faster than the other uh, alternative investment models. But the problem to your point is to get that zero to 60 acceleration rate, you have to have patience because at the beginning, it actually accelerates slower than the other ones. And so it looks like the return on investment is weaker and then people pull the plug. So this is now back to our original conversation about does the CEO really understand it? And at the end of the day, you know, The only way around that problem, I think, for partnership leaders, is to take a a low-hanging fruit approach, which is to figure out amongst all the different partnering models that you have in your ecosystem, which are the ones that have the highest propensity to deliver a compelling leading indicator. And I think we should spend a little time on this because people really mess this one up. Um, In the old channel days, channels was all about sourced revenue, Right. So you were all measuring how much ACV did the channel generate for us. It was a very kind of post indicator as opposed to leading indicator type model. To make partnering work, you have to sell leading indicators. You have to show that if you achieve that leading indicator, two months, three months, two quarters later, you're going to have a lagging indicator. So you create this connection between early success, which is not going to be ACV, And it's not going to be the conventional measures of return on investment. But if the data on that leading indicator is compelling enough, anybody smart can look at the post sales result or the the closed one result in some number of quarters later and go, Oh my God, this is incredible. Um, And so the two messages there are find the low hanging fruit and sell the leading indicators. If you can do that, then you can begin to build momentum for not only keeping the investment but increasing it because we all know right if you put a million dollars in and you get early results if you put two million more in you're going to get even more and so you've got to be asking for more money but you better have a good story if you want to get the funding
1: yeah, i couldn't agree more on the on the leading indicators piece because you know success breeds success <laughs> failures unfortunately breeds failures but as we're standing up these new relationships uh, with, with partnering. Um, Yeah, so many times we just look at the outcome, the goal, um, you know, that lagging indicator. And a lot of times it takes a long time for that lagging indicator to get here. Like we just said, 18, 24 months sometimes, but the leading indicators can be your wins as well. And it lets you know that that you're on track for it. And if you find yourself behind, uh, you can use it as a lever put more resources to whatever that leading indicator is. And as long as it is truly a leading indicator, if it's predictive of your outcome, uh, you'll accelerate, uh, you, you know, your, your success. Yeah. That's also the
0: reason that partnering has to be strategic and not tactical. It's not to say that you don't have to be good at the tactics. You have to be good at the tactics because, uh, you know, execution beats, tra- beats strategy for breakfast. So does culture. Um, but you have to have a strategy. You have to have a framework and an orientation that says, if we do the following over the n- next number of multiple quarters, we are going to transform our business from X to Y to Z. So the leading indicators are aiming toward a strategic outcome that also has tactical relevance, because that's how you get a leading indicator is you roll up all the tactics and it, it, it drives you to a, toward the, uh, the R and OKR, right? Yeah. But if it's not strategic, You're going to continuously be frustrated by the urgencies that, back to our earlier conversation, you have not embedded partnering into the functions. And so whenever you ask for help to drive those leading indicators, it's like pushing a rock up a hill. And so that's the the reason why if you are a CEO and you think partnering is important, you think it's important, you're not 100% sure, hire the senior partnering person, not the junior one. Because at the end of the day, you don't have a senior pro leading your partner organization and you have a bird who sits at the nest and wants to be fed. you ain't going to get anywhere because we all know how big the change is. Change is profound.
1: Alan, this has been fun. Thank you yes, so much thanks. for uh, hopping in here and yeah, uh, knocking this out. We are definitely going to have to do this many, many more times. Uh, yeah, looking forward the to future. it. Awesome. Well, have a, have a good day, and uh, we'll be checking in with you soon. Looking forward to it. Take care.
0: Partnernomics Podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics Podcast, visit partnernomics.com.